Hello and welcome to another episode of Not Too Deep. I'm your host, Grace Helbig. It is my honor, privilege, pleasure, and total fucking excitement to tell you that this week's episode is with the one and only John Green. Uh, We had such a great conversation that I didn't want it to end. Spoiler alert, we talk uh, about his new book, The Anthropocene Reviewed, based on his hit podcast, The Anthropocene Reviewed. Uh, He and his brother, their podcast, Dear Hank and John, and we get into some pretty uh, deep questions uh, and comments in the conversation about uh, mental health, the YouTube journey of it all, social media of it all, and uh, his thoughts on parenting. And it's just like there's a lot that we talked about, and I had a really great time talking about it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Enjoy Not Too Deep with John Green. All right, John Green. This is so Hello. exciting. Oh, it's nice to see you, Grace. It's nice to see you too. Last time I saw you, it was a wedding festivity and it was joyous and fun and strange and overwhelming and just social for the first time. Yeah, it was one of the first, and as it would turn out, only weekends <laughs> where I felt truly free and alive and yeah. as as if my choices <laughs> were not being circumscribed by a single strand of RNA. Yeah. And it was awesome. And I'm clinging to that memory of (laughs) Hannah and Ella's wedding and hanging out with you for Uh, as long as I can. You really did look like you were set free. Um, I Uh, it took me a second to get myself to process that it was okay to have like to be having as much fun as I was, because I think just being conditioned over the last year to worry that you're not doing something appropriately to the the course of the world at the same time. Um, but every time I looked over, over, I felt like you were holding court and you were just <laughs> letting it all so, go. I had a great, <laughs> great weekend. Like Sarah and I had <laughs> so much fun. Also, like we had not spent, I mean, I love my children immensely, endlessly, mm-hmm. but we had not spent a night away from them in a year yeah. and a half. So like, wow. it was, we, we had a great time. Well, what's the, what's the over under on when you start to miss them and want to be back with them once you leave them? Oh, I mean, usually, I, I mean, the weird thing is that before this, I traveled for work so, so much and right. it felt inevitable and it felt natural and it felt like the only way that I could possibly do what I do. Mm-hmm. And then like when I canceled 45 Delta flights over the course of a month and a half, I was like, maybe this isn't as inevitable as it seemed. Mm. Um, and so like in those days, I would miss the kids the second I left the house, you know, yeah. because I would just um, I, I don't yet know what the COVID um, date is because Sarah and I were gone for two days and yeah. um, we were still enjoying each other's company quite a lot. <laughs> I'm sure. But it's also nice to know that you can spend that much concentrated time with your children yeah, and still sure. have such joy about yeah. them. Yeah. I yeah. I mean, it is really nice to get a different kind of close to them. You know, I, I, I do feel like for a lot of their early lives, like I just wasn't there. Like, mm. you know, I was I was on the phone. I was on FaceTime. I wasn't always in the room. And then, you know, for the last year and a half, I have been 
pretty much always in the room. And that has been really valuable. And I've learned a lot from it. Like I've learned a lot from them. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm always suspicious of attempts to bright side the pandemic. This has been an unmitigated horror. And, yeah. and I, I, I know everybody's lost a, a lot and, and some people have, have lost everything. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like, oh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's great. Cause I get to spend so much time with my kids. Sure, yeah. um, but I am, I am glad that I had this revelation that I did not need to be traveling. How old are they now? They're 11 and eight. Wow. Okay. So yeah. as someone that doesn't have children, what do you do or maybe you're doing it or maybe it hasn't happened yet when you start to see qualities of yourself in them that you don't want them to have? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting, like seeing seeing that sort of stuff in my kids. A lot of times I do see some some upsides to it, you know. Mm-hmm. I, wor- I worry for them much more than I were ever worried for myself um, yeah. because that's, I think that's just the nature of it. And, you know, there's a big part of when you're a parent, like, I just want to save them from pain yeah, of any yeah, kind, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. like I, I just want to, I, I, I want them to, I want to save them from heartbreak. I want to save them from having fights with their friends. I want to, I want to save them from whatever they're going to have to go through. But of course, like, A, I can't. And B, that's not actually what they need. Like they don't need me to like run in and try to jump on the grenade. They, they need to be able to go through it and live their own lives and -hmm. know that, you know, Sarah and I are there to support them. And so that's what I've been trying to do. But I, I, there are moments when I, when I wish, like, I wish I could solve this problem for them or I, I wish they didn't have to have to deal with this. Yeah. I mean, I guess it really tests your control issues of uh, wanting to totally smother them yeah. completely and I keep mean, them from the dangers and horrors of the world and humans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's something very strange about being a parent, right? Which is that like, almost from the moment they're born, they're not just growing up, they're also growing away from you. Like mm-hmm. the the extent to which they need you or and the ways in which they need you change so much, even yeah. in the first few years. And so you have to make room for that because they are going to have to live their lives. Like I'm not, first off, I'm not going to be able to live their lives for them. Secondly, I don't think it would be advisable. Like, yeah, that would be strange. Yeah. And so I, I'm not going to be able to make their choices for them and they're going to have their lives. And, and yeah, that can be a little heartbreaking sometimes, but it's also the way it should be. Yeah. Cause I feel like the opposite of that is if you were to make all the choices for them, I think that's like the premise of dead mommy dearest. (laughs) (laughs) yeah that situation so i think not going that route might be healthier for you and them um okay i want to talk to you about the anthropocene reviewed um both the podcast and the book the i'm curious because this is a bit of a departure from what the content that you normally create what was the catalyst behind starting this Oh, I think in large part, wanting to um, make a large departure from the books that I had written before. Okay. I mean, I I wrote uh, a book called The Fault in Our Stars that came out mm-hmm. almost 10 years ago. And in the wake of that book coming out, it really changed my life and quite quite dramatically in, in lots of wonderful ways, but in also in also ways that were, were very stressful. 
Mm-hmm. And I spent the next five years, you know, desperately trying to write another book, um, write a, another novel ab- about teenagers. And I finally did. Um, and I felt really grateful that I was able to write that book, Turtles All the Way Down, for a lot mm-hmm. of reasons. But, but you know, it, in no small part, because it, it meant that I had overcome this, um, this block or, or, mm-hmm. or this stress that I had around publishing. But, you know, when I was out promoting that book in 2017, when I was out promoting Turtles All the Way Down, I just felt like I didn't want to do this anymore. Like I didn't want to, uh, I just wanted to do something different. I I had Mm -hmm. come to find, you know, writing had always been like an escape for me, like a way out of the prison of of my my consciousness, you know, like a way to imagine what it might be like to be someone else. And I, I think acting, acting may in some ways be similar but it had really stopped feeling fun and it had really started to feel stressful and scary. And like people were gonna, I was really worried that people were going to hate everything I wrote. And I just, I was, I was just pretty lost. Mm-hmm. And my brother and I on that tour that we took in 2017, I would always tell him this joke that I wanted to start a podcast called the Anthropocene reviewed where I just like wrote Goodreads reviews, but in like highly in-depth Goodreads reviews, but instead of like reviewing books or, or, or restaurants or whatever people are reviewing, I would review like, um, humanity's capacity for wonder and, uh, and diet Dr. Pepper and a, a, yeah. a movie I like from 1950. And I got home and I was like, you know, that joke is, is there, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> And so I started writing them and immediately it was the most fun I'd ever had writing. Like writing Mm. nonfiction was hugely freeing, um, writing, you know, being able to write about myself for the first time in my life was, was scary, but like also really freeing. And it just, it was so much fun from the very beginning. And then, you know, I got to kind of live my dream of making a podcast with WNYC and having amazing people do the, you know, record original music around the stuff that I was writing. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. And then, then it turned into a book, which has also been a wonderful experience. And I have a lot of complaints in this world, but man, the last, uh, the, the, the experience of publishing this book has just been perfect. Uh, the, yeah, it's, um, I think you kind of like, um, buck the system by putting, um, a very positive, like, um, you say wonder, as a term when I think it could be criticized. <laughs> and so you put like a very uh, uplifting sort of uh, spotlight on what you're doing, which could easily be rants from John Green. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, there's a part of me that wanted to go like full snark, um, yeah. you know, and just just talk about stuff I hate and how much I hate it and how outrageous it is. I know what <laughs> I know. I know how to get re tweets but um yeah i mean i feel like that's what you do on dear uh hank Hank and john John. yeah yeah Yeah, we definitely go there sometimes i really in this book i wanted to like i think i've started to feel like like online right now like the most radical way to be is to be radically earnest and Mm. uh willing to be vulnerable yeah. And so I really wanted to I really wanted to try to do that in this book. I really wanted to try to like strip down the armor of like cynicism and irony that I've used for my entire career to like you know be able to protect myself from the the, the various slings and arrows of living a, a public life online. Yeah. 
And I just wanted to kind of put that stuff down and just try to reckon earnestly uh, with the world as I found it, which was definitely intimidating. But I mean, the nice thing about podcasts is that like people don't really hate listen to them, you right. know? Yeah, because that's a lot more effort. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Like people will hate hate watch a YouTube video yeah. and then they'll like click thumbs down and they'll write a comment like why why you're so terrible. Yeah. People don't really do that with podcasts. They're like they're listening to this, you know earnest person's podcast about like the the history of Piggly Wiggly or whatever, they'll just stop listening if they don't like it. Yeah, it's and if they do try to hate watch, it's just a very transparent um, indication of where they're at psychologically. Yeah, right. Like I I bet you've had a rough week because I know I know I hate watch stuff sometimes and it's never when I'm never when things are going great. Yeah, but when you gave me 45 minutes of your time and then found on the uh, <laughs> Apple Podcast app to leave a review, like, thank you. And also, maybe you should talk to someone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my brother and I actually share a YouTube account. Like, we we only watch YouTube videos logged in as Vlogbrothers. Yeah. And so I can see everything he hate watches. <laughs> and it'll affect my recommendations. <laughs> and then I'll call him and I'll be like, Hank, stop. Do this is this is bad for all of us. This you're, is ruining you're messing with my, my algorithm. Algorithm. I'm just uh, trying to watch. I'm just trying to watch uh, like Tetris highlights, and you're <laughs> you're out here engaging with the alt right. I don't like it. Oh no! I feel like that's. I mean, wonderful blackmail just to release all the videos that Hank watches <laughs> privately for everyone. I know I would love any kind of content like that. Uh, so turning it into a book. Writing about yourself, I think it's really beautiful. Like you said, being able to put down sarcasm and cynicism and open curiosity and wonder is um, really difficult to do when your go-to um, tools are <laughs> cynicism and sarcasm. Yeah, yeah. But also really freeing. I think that kind of goes in line with, like I, I listen to Dear Hank and John um, and the Anthropocene Reviewed. And I feel like you have had this kind of growth where you talk more candidly about your mental health. Has that been like a, a conscious choice or has it just been kind of naturally through your own like growth and evolution? Yeah, I mean, it has been a conscious choice to an extent. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a weird balance. And I don't know if it's like this this for you too, but for me, I, I have to balance. There's two. There's a few things I have to balance. First, I'm not an expert. Like, Right. I have been I have been crazy my whole life. And so I, I know a lot about it from the inside, but I don't know. Yeah. I'm not a psychologist. I can't dispense psychological advice. And I want right. to be very careful to stay on the that end of the of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like it's important to talk about for, for a few reasons. One is that, you know. We we hear we we are talking more about mental health, which I think is really important, but it is still a heavily stigmatized mm-hmm. around the world. Like there are not a lot of places where it isn't stigmatized. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons it's so stigmatized is that is that illnesses that are difficult to treat um, or that we, we, we don't have perfect treatments for often are more stigmatized. Like that's mm-hmm. one of the hallmarks of, of a highly stigmatized disease. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mental illness is, is almost always treatable, I think, Pursuing treatment is extremely important. It is the reason why I'm able to have a healthy uh, and fulfilling life. Mm-hmm. But so I want to I want to be able to be out there telling that story that like I have lived with a serious mental illness 
pretty much my entire life, but I also have a very good life. Mm -hmm. And there are times like with any chronic illness where I am very unwell and it sucks and it's scary and it's really, it's off. It's really, really awful. Um, but there are also lots of times when I have, when I, uh, things are good and when it's, when it's well controlled and I expect that to probably be the case for the rest of my life. And it can still be a good and fulfilling life. And that, that I mm. think that's kind of more the norm, actually. Yeah. Than, and, but we don't hear those stories as much. So that, I guess that's why I feel like I should talk about it. I, I really appreciate that perspective because, yeah, I'm someone that also deals with mental health issues. And I don't like to be too um, uh, forthright about it in a lot of things. Uh, but I do worry sometimes that, you know, the talking about it and normalizing the conversation leads to like commodifying or exploiting. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, for, it's, such a, it's that, such a fine line. That bothers me so me much too. when I feel like I'm seeing that happen. But there's no way for me to prove that that's what's happening because yeah. that would be very insensitive to do. Um, right. So but I do appreciate that you're taking the steps like authentically when it makes sense to talk about what you're experiencing without trying to um, put the illness on a pedestal or define yourself by it in some way. Yeah. I think that, I think that there is uh, that's, you know, the way that I try to think about that is I don't want to settle for bad mental health. Like I don't, I don't Mm. want to, you know, to, to have that be a core identifier of myself because I want to continue to try to find good treatment strategies that work mm. for me. Yeah. And and honestly like I can't I can't work when I'm not well. So yeah, like same. same. You, you won't you won't see me on YouTube because <laughs> I can't I can't do it. Yeah. And like uh I just can't. And so I need to be I need to be well to do the work that I love. I need mm-hmm. to be well to be with the people I love in the way that I want to be with them. And, um, and I know I can't always be well. And I know sometimes I have to like make accommodations to that reality, mm-hmm. but I, I do, I want to keep working toward having better mental health. That's great. I think that's, you know, I know you're doing it for yourself, obviously, but it impacts so many people, which is like a lovely byproduct of you just working on yourself. Yeah. Um, okay. We're going to take one quick break when we get back. I have, guess what, more questions for you. We'll be right back with more Not Too Deep. Hello, listeners. Grace Helbig here wanting to say two things. A big thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, if you're a regular listener, if this is your first time listening, welcome and thank you. And uh, second thing, if you are enjoying yourself here in this not-too-deep world we've built and you'd like to leave us a review, that would be so wonderful. If you can go to the iTunes store, the App Store, and leave us a lovely little review comment. How are you feeling? Good, bad, otherwise? Maybe just good or otherwise would be appreciated. Other than that, enjoy the podcast. Okay, couple of questions. In talking about um, creating content, creativity, all of that, I've heard you and your brother talk about this a little bit on your podcast. Do you schedule your creativity or at least try to, let's consider mental health isn't um, acting up or flaring up in any way? Yeah, I mean, 
you know, I make schedules and, and I also try to make allowances, but okay. I, I mean, my experience of it, I mean, Hank and I've been making YouTube videos for almost 15 years. I've made Wild. a video almost every Tuesday for like, I don't know, you know, like 600 Tuesdays or something. Jesus. And my experience of it has been that I have better ideas when I'm subjecting myself to that schedule than I would have if I weren't. Um, mm. I do better because I get in the rhythm. Because okay. really, like, I, I don't know where ideas come from, but I do know yeah. that I have more of them if I'm in a pos- in a position where I need to have them. Like, yeah, that's just that's always been the way. Yeah. But with writing, with writing books, though, it's very different because like sometimes it'll be five years between our, me writing a book and sometimes it'll be three years. I think once it was six years. And, and that's just such a different experience for me because it's so um, difficult and detail oriented. And I'm not, mm-hmm. I don't really need to have one idea like I do for a YouTube video. I need to have like 72,000 ideas that have, <laughs> I have to figure out how to stitch together. Yeah. So, so that's definitely a challenge. The okay, well, in stitching your ideas together and choosing what you wrote about for Anthropocene Reviewed, um, what was the did, was there a process in which uh, the things you reviewed made the cut? Was there a system? There wasn't a strong system. Um, <laughs> it was really that's, my, that's how I describe my uh, digestive system. Yeah, mine too. Not a strong I system. I don't have a lot of strong systems. Yeah, me um, I think my logline is a weak system. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, I guess like w- when I was thinking about turning it into a book, I was thinking about there being sort of two arcs to the to the book. One mm-hmm. is an arc from a kind of state of hopefulness um, very early in the pandemic to a state of despair. And then working my way, trying to write my way back into a state of hopefulness. And the other is is much looser, but it sort of takes from childhood when I was fascinated by things like scratch and sniff stickers and Haley's Mm -hmm. Comet into like my early adulthood when I suffered some mental health uh, crises uh, into becoming a parent myself and and being with with my kids and learning from them. So Mm. I wanted it to sort of have a loosely chronological biographical structure while also having this structure about about despair um but then sometimes i would just really like an essay so i would put it in you know (laughs) it's your rules you're your own outback steakhouse that's right (laughs) uh do you actually like dr pepper diet dr pepper thoughts on it okay do do you not like it i love it i think it's good yeah it's awesome diet dr p I go for it all the time. It wasn't until I heard you describe that they're their own independent uh, soda company. I had yeah. no idea. No, nope, they're not owned by Coke or Pepsi. They're the largest non-Coke or Pepsi soda company in the United States. And also, I mean, the whole the whole history of Dr. Pepper fascinates me. But I think the main thing that fascinates me is that it was the first, at least so far as I can tell, it was the first artificial like soda drink ever created that was not designed to taste like something in the real world it was designed by this pharmacist to taste the way that the that the uh, soda fountain in waco texas where he worked smelled so he just so he found a unique smell 
wanted to translate he, it to flavor. And then worked to translate it to flavor using his pharmaceutical wow. skills. Wow. Can yeah. you imagine if that uh, he met Guy Fieri? I feel like they would <laughs> <they'd> be <laughs> no end. A great rivalry. Yeah, I mean, it's Either true. a rivalry or the beautiful collaboration. Yeah, right. Or the best restaurant in the history of the world. <laughs> yeah, whatever. They have uh, four, tables, four tables and 20 bathrooms because whatever comes <laughs> in is going to go out real bad. <laughs> Got those. <laughs> oh, insane. <laughs> Um, okay, John, we're going to get into now the two questions I ask every single guest that is here on the podcast. Yes. And the first is, who, alive or dead, would you most like to throw cold spaghetti at? Hmm. I mean, there's a lot of great candidates. Yeah. Well, this is something we consider is your answer as of this moment. It obviously can change hour to hour, sure. day to yeah, day. Yeah, I don't want to make a lifetime commitment because yeah. I do think that someday I will be in a position to throw <laughs> cold spaghetti at someone and oh. I want to want to be able to change at the last second. <laughs> yeah, someday YouTube collaborations will open back up again and those sorts yeah. of challenges will well, be right. Oh, it's going to be a great challenge. <laughs> um, yeah, which, which YouTuber would you like to collaborate with by throwing cold spaghetti on him <laughs> is... Uh, is not a difficult question for me, but also one I think I'm going to choose not to answer. Okay. Um, you know, so almost everyone I've ever known in my life, I think, like, even if they weren't, like, good people or, or like, we didn't share value systems or whatever, like, I almost always feel like they're doing their best, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, even, I, like, I got, I got beat up a lot in middle school and, and it was really difficult and it sucked and I don't want to take anything away from how much it sucked. But, like, mm -hmm. I think back now on those kids and like they were also in middle school which is mm -hmm. terrible and yeah. it's a hard thing to go through and they were doing their best there is one person who i do not think was doing his best um yeah. i sponsor a third tier english soccer team called afc wimbledon and yeah. the guy the pete winkleman is his name he's got a bond villain of a name and a bond yeah. villain of a face and he took wimbledon away from their spiritual ancestral longtime homeland of South London, moved the team 60 miles away to Milton Keynes. And I, I don't think, I don't think that he was doing his best. And I would, I would throw some, some cold spaghetti on him. Is, wait, is there a connection between, is this the same guy from your middle school? No, no. no okay. No, no. I was totally going to say, that's person. the most outrageous story if your middle no, school bully no, grew up and no, took no, your favorite no. AFC team and moved it away. I'd be like, what no. a long con. No, this guy. no, no. <laughs> that would have oh, been incredible. He, is, he really, he doesn't even really apologize for being a cartoon villain. Um, yeah, it's a great yeah, name. I've never, I've never met him, but um, I... <laughs> you and don't I, need I, to. Uh, yeah, I, I probably don't need to. But if <laughs> I, I do, and there's cold spaghetti nearby, he better watch out. I know. We're talking about how the best support your mental health. And I don't think you need to interact with this man. <laughs> I think that might be a little regressive for you. Might take uh, me back. Yeah. Okay. The other question I ask every single guest on the podcast is to tell us your worst pants shitting story or like a, <laughs> a bathroom emergency situation. <sighs> but But you can only use three words. Or like a combination of small phrases to describe the event. So, okay. for example, mine mm -hmm. is college jogging front lawn. Okay, mine is. Um... 
you, I'll let you relive the memory. Unfortunately, I, unfortunately, I have a couple of choices. I wish I, I appreciate didn't. that so much. There are often guests that are like, I don't have one, which oh. I also respect. Oh yeah, I bet. It they, makes I me bet wonder. They don't. I bet they don't. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I guess the I guess the worst one um, was <laughs> was uh, um, airplane landing flying home. Oh, wow! Wow! All right, no follow up questions there. Uh, Great. <laughs> really paints a picture for us. Appreciate uh, you picking. One I had a stark of... choice, Grace. I had a stark <laughs> choice. You know? Yeah, they're so saying... did that pilot, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> they're saying it's dangerous for there to be someone in the bathroom while the plane is landing. And I'm saying it's also dangerous for there to be someone not in the bathroom while the plane <laughs> yeah. is landing. It's dangerous for this person to not be in that bathroom <laughs> when we're landing. <laughs> There's widespread agreement that we have a bad choice in front of us. Yeah, I wonder... Um, because I understand, I mean, I understand that I do not understand the safety regulations on planes uh, the way that the the team that works on planes obviously do. But I do wonder if we'll ever get to a point where you are allowed to be in the restroom on takeoff and landing. Yeah, just in an emergency. I will say it's good that you were closer to your home than had you been landing in the place that you were coming That's from. That's a great point. <laughs> That's a great. I mean, I'll tell you what, I wasn't looking at that silver lining in the moment, yeah. but it's really nice to be reminded that it could have been worse. It could have been worse. That's me trying yeah. to lower my cynicism about everything. Beautiful. Um, okay, now we're going to take a little bit of a turn, get back to some more serious-ish questions. We have a section of the podcast called Deep and Hot, where I'm going to ask you a deep question that we've prepared for you and ask for your hot take on something we've prepared for you. Great. So, deep question. <clears throat> if an artist says a piece of their art was done without any meaning, like a random squiggle, splash of colors, whatever, does the purposeful meaningless matter more than the meaning that an audience might assert over the art? Great question, and one that I've spent a lot of time thinking about and writing about, and my personal belief is mm -hmm. that um the art belongs to the people who are looking at it mm. and the and books belong to their readers and um if they find meaning in that work that isn't contradicted by the text if they find meaning in an artwork that isn't contradicted by the image mm -hmm. then the meaning can be perfectly legitimate regardless of whether the author intended it what do you mean by contradicted I, I mean that like if you read Animal Farm and you mm -hmm. decide this is a pro-communist novel, uh -huh. you have you have made a mistake. Okay. <laughs> and like and, and and that that reading isn't legitimate and, <laughs> and 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 that meaning that you found isn't there. Okay, 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 gotcha. But I think there can be lots of things in Animal Farm or any number of other books that the author may not have intended, but that are still meaningful and, and mm -hmm. that, that meaning is can still be useful and helpful to people who are reading it. I I don't take a lot of stock in authorial intent, not least because I am an author and I know right. I know we lie about this stuff all the time. <laughs> like yeah. I, I, nobody is less reliable than an author talking about their own work yeah, and yeah, whether yeah. they intended something. Because like 
And there's like a famous example where like William Faulkner was really drunk and angry. And somebody asked him if he intended this like obvious Garden of Eden scene <laughs> to be a Garden of Eden scene. And he was like, no, of course not. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's like you're reading the scene and you're like, I mean, there's a snake and an apple <laughs> and a bird, like two and people. Adds up. <laughs> Yeah, it just feels a little Garden of Eden. So yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't trust authors. I yeah, I mean, like I, I, I different thoughts about Shakespeare and all of that kind of stuff. I'm like, yeah, was well, this guy that great? I feel like yeah, well, I think I, I mean, I think there's that impulse, especially when you're in English classes and and like things are being analyzed at such a level that it like really does feel absurd. And it also, I think for casual readers, it feels very far removed from the way that they read and from what they Mm. enjoy about reading. And I totally get that. But, but I also think that like, you know, a, a good, a really good book should work on multiple levels. Like a really good book should be purely fun to read and, and it can provide that. Yeah. Uh, like Salinger would write about the the reader who reads and runs. And like, there's a lot of value in in the reader who reads and runs. But I also think like a really good book, like should hold up to some level of critical reading. Yeah, I would imagine, but that's maybe just me, that it might be kind of lovely to find from readers interpretations that weren't necessarily outright, but might have been part of your, you know, unconscious while you're doing it. Yeah, I think that's very real, like things that I was pointing to without Mm -hmm. quite knowing that I was pointing to it. Or even, I mean, in the case of some metaphors, like, you know, metaphors that 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 come back again and again, like like certain colors, like people have pointed out the certain like color palette in paper towns that like Mm -hmm. I wasn't totally conscious of when I was when I was writing. But like I was trying to I was trying to make people uh, feel like he felt like his life was somehow like supernaturally bright when this girl was in it. And then like very different and sort of dimmer when, when she wasn't yeah. in it. But that was like, that was supposed to be part of his obviously misimagining well, her, seeing her life as being primarily about him. I, yeah, I'm studying about uh, depth psychology right now. And that seems to tap into collective unconscious that we all kind oh, of yeah. have these yeah. underlying things that are, part of the big other going on. Um, okay, now I want your hot take on something. Uh, let's see. This is not the best way to phrase this, but what are your thoughts on genuine curiosity versus like just drive in creating content? Like you kind of mm-hmm. touched on this earlier where you said, um, I, if I'm not feeling well, like I can't, make a video i can't make content so what are your thoughts on like i guess like the the passion and curiosity for creating content versus uh the hustle or drive mentality of like consistency of content must keep creating yeah i mean i i I think the i think the i don't know what it's been like for you grace i'd Mm -hmm. be interested to hear you your answer to this Mm. i think the hustle um felt necessary for me for a long time. And it also worked really well for me for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't really notice the costs, Mm. which were high. Yeah. And I also didn't notice when I stopped making something because I was curious and because I was passionate and because that was exactly what I wanted to do on a Tuesday more than I wanted to do anything else. Mm -hmm. And, and so my experience overall over the last 15 years has been that that stuff waxes and wanes, that it's a sort of sine wave and that when it 
it's down, it feels like it will always be down. And when it's up, it feels like it'll always be up. But in fact, like another wave is always going to come. Yeah. I, I don't feel, I guess what I don't feel anymore that I felt for a long time was this like urgent desire not to like lose yeah. the status or the whatever yeah. that came with getting a certain number of views on every video and like really, really wanting that. I, I guess I, I guess the way that it's resolved for me at the moment is that I don't feel the the need to hustle, but I do yeah. still want to make videos on Tuesdays. Um, yeah. I just don't care if they get view like yeah. so like I don't do like I don't do thumbnails anymore, you know, yeah. like because I don't because uh, you know like I don't know that I actually want extra people to see the video, you know, like I kind <laughs> yeah. of I'm kind of making it for the people who are gonna want like already gonna watch it. And I'm kind of don't, I don't know that I really do want the rest of YouTube to watch it. Yeah. So that's where, that's where I'm at at the moment. Yeah, I get that. I feel that on a lot of layers of, uh, just the pivot from being caught in a rat race almost and losing what your actual perspective is or genuine opinions are about making content or what you're doing versus like finding like the actual desire, passion to make yeah. something because you want to make something it, but it is a constant like checking in with yourself on it. And like yeah. you said, ebbs and flows. And when it's down, it feels like it's gone forever. And when it's up, it feels like it'll never go away. And so it's uh, uh inspiration all around is a, a tricky mistress, I think. It is. And, and also um, there's something very weird about what we do that didn't even exist really 10 or 15 years ago. Right. Which yeah. is like, there, there were no TV shows that lasted 15 years except for The Simpsons. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like it, things and would Mash. get to this. Yeah, things would get to like the sixth <laughs> or seventh season, and then people would be like, "Wow, what a great run! Let's stop doing this." Yeah. Um, and that didn't. There was no version of that. There was like, you know, there was no version of that for us. Like, we didn't yeah. have models on on how to make less content or how to make a different kind of. It just. Mm-hmm. We, and and so I I found that and find it like still pretty pretty confusing not not having that model i'm this is a world i'm hyper fascinated in and like stuff that i'm kind of studying on the side and trying to wrap my head around because like humans naturally need to evolve and grow physically emotionally spiritually all of it um and when you are stuck creating and and it is like burned into your brain this kind of like um uh, system of creating a brand that is yourself that is front facing and you are you know pouring it out like just putting it all out into these like machines how can you like unless you're very very good at stepping away and taking a break and collecting yourself you can get very lost in your own personal evolution and then become just the persona side of you versus like the human side of you uh or the deeper inner self side of you and i think I think that's what's going to be studied a lot lately. (laughs) I think there's going to be a lot. I I think that's a really interesting place to be doing research because Mm -hmm. I think that the shrinking distance between the performative, the performed self and the experienced self. Yep. You know, you are on the very leading edge of having experienced that, but every. But I can say firsthand, it'll fuck you up. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, it, 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 it fucked me up really badly. Yeah. Like really badly and and it was 
by far the most overrated experience I've ever had. <laughs> but it um, also seems so stupid at the yeah, same yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think everybody is going to have some version yeah, of this because, sure. uh, you know, so many millions of young people are creating content on TikTok or Instagram and and defining themselves and, and their, their understanding of themselves in part by their success on those platforms. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just like, TV shows run for seven years, like things change. That's just the nature of time. And if you've got no distance between your performed self and your experienced self, like Mm -hmm. injuries to your performed self feel like they are to your very core. Yeah. When the personal and the persona are one, then there's actually, there's, that's uh, too much investment in one franchise. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. My brother always talks about diversifying your identity mm-hmm. and making sure that like you can think of yourself as being more than one thing. But yeah. I also think, I mean, another element of this is that uh, we, we don't have uh, like another way to, like, we don't have another job, you know? Like, I know. I, that's the, I say you have to have part of your life that's not monetized. It has to be yeah. some yeah. area of your world that has no opportunity to be monetized and will never be monetized. At least, who knows? Yeah, that's my that's something for that's now. really, really important to me as well. Um, okay, we have to take one last break. When we get back, uh, we have a question that you and I can give a listener some hopeful, helpful advice on because look how uh, helpful we are so far. We'll be right back with more Not Too Deep. Not. John, let's try and answer uh, a question submitted by a listener slash viewer. I think you might have some interesting thoughts on this. They write in and ask, when does treasure become trash? Which could be applied to this entire conversation we've been having. (laughs) You know, I didn't put that together till right now. Oh, man. Um, I think, I mean, first off, treasure, all treasure becomes trash over time, right? Like that's sort of what time is. Mm -hmm. Time is the process through which treasure becomes trash. (laughs) You can say Um, that's life. It's a time, time is the increasing of entropy. Uh But, um, you know, it's, it, Here's here's my honest answer, and I, I this might be a little too dark for what I think was a probably a pretty funny question. Okay. But I'm just I'm, that's where I'm at right now, Grace. Mm-hmm. My honest answer is that treasure tends to become trash when you get it. When you get it, yeah, like when you acquire the treasure that you've uh, like wanted all this time in your life that you've like, like worked a car. for, and like yeah, like you really want this treasure. Like, I'll give you an example. When The Fault in Our Stars was, was published, I had like a really good first week. And I, and I mean, we, it was yeah. incredible. Like it sold more copies in its first week than all of my previous books had sold in like seven years. Yeah. And uh, I was like, I'm, I want to get a car. I'm, mm. You know, I'd never had a, a new car before. And Sarah was like, yeah, you should get a car. <laughs> Not least because she hated my car. And uh, <laughs> so I did. I bought my dream car, a 2012 Chevy Volt. Nice. uh metallic i got yes. I, I designed the whole thing i got a i got a um uh, a sunroof which i had never had in my turns out that i hate sunroofs that's why <laughs> i'd never had you, them you know i mean you'll never know unless you tried it though right but the treasure immediately became trash because i was like oh the sun can come in from the top now 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the sun oh. has a new angle of attack. I just gave it, I gave that to the, I gave that to the sun. So the, the way this item is described, it does exactly what it is. Okay. It's a roof for the sun. <laughs> I, I, I should have seen this coming. You know what? They should have explained and, this and somehow more. I did it. And I, you know, when I was designing my, my car on the, on the Chevy.com website, I was like, this is a masterwork, a yeah. true treasure. This, this is, is like the most David. beautiful yeah. car. Yes, this is my David. This is the most beautiful. I am going to drive down the streets of Indianapolis and every head will turn yes. and people will say, oh my God, who's driving that Volt? That's what they say. And then it arrived. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, this is a, this is a compact sedan with a sunroof. <laughs> yep, yep, there's yep, a, yep. There's actually a lot of people in Indianapolis with compact sedans. <laughs> many of them, many of them chose gray as their color. Hmm. And I, I don't stand out at all. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. As soon as you notice something, it's everywhere. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That I, I, uh, I agree with the literal interpretation of that. I also think what you were kind of saying about like the metaphorical interpretation of it, that like, I thought you were going to say that (laughs) when you got the success of your book, you didn't know what else to do. And so the treasure of having this best-selling book suddenly became trash because (laughs) it was done and over with. And now what do you do? You're left with the pressure to, uh, do something new that keeps up with well, them. <laughs> that, that can not possibly succeed yeah. <laughs> on anything like the scale of the previous thing. Exactly. Cause I do think that part of treasure part, I mean, depends on what you're talking about, but there is something to the, the definition of treasure being a thing you, you desire that you don't have yet. Yeah. This idea yeah. of something or this goal or something. It's something you're reaching for. Yeah. Um, and then I, I, I do think like, I, I want to be clear that I'm super, super grateful for the success of the Faulkner Stars and for that oh, Chevy Bolt, which, which I've had for now <laughs> almost 10 years. Um, and, and I don't want to sound in any way ungrateful for it, but you're absolutely right that in the wake of that, you're like, oh God, like, what am I going to do? Like, yeah. what am I... I, I I'm certainly never going to write another book that does that well. I, you know, like yeah, pe- pe- people are going to say, "Oh, he's fallen off," and they'll be right. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I also think that, like, um, I guess in a more universal sense, depending, like, let's say you're talking about, like, I love this lamp, and I got it finally, and it works well, and it's beautiful, and it's great, and it's treasure, and for like three years, it's the most beautiful functional thing. And then it gets knocked off a shelf and part of it chips off and now it no longer kind of works. And it's become, I'm holding on to it because it used to be my favorite thing that I worked for yeah. and got. But yeah. now it's just this constantly uh, eroding love that I have because this thing doesn't actually do its full function like it used to. And all of my emotional attachment is trying to rationalize the functionality that's lost in this thing. <laughs> so maybe then, maybe then treasure, the real, like what, like we have to do the work to uh-huh. make the definition of treasure mm. to include what a lot of what we have, like, mm. like that, like we have to do the work to remind ourselves to be grateful for the treasure that is, that is with us. Yeah. Even if like, I actually have a lamp that is very similar to that. <laughs> and 
we really wanted this lamp. It's a beautiful lamp. We got the lamp. The moment we got it, I like turned it on. Uh-huh. And I realized in that moment that it, the, the little Turner Honor thing mm-hmm. hits the light bulb <laughs> over and over and over again. And, and like, it's as close to a perpetual motion machine as has ever been invented in the history of humans. Oh, man. And so here's this wonderful lamp that we, that we, that we do treasure. Yeah. Um, but if you turn it on for the next six to seven minutes, you're going to hear dink, dink, yeah, dink, telltale heart dink, in your own home. Telltale heart style. <laughs> so, um, but if I can just learn to love that lamp mm-hmm. as it is, yeah. then it can it can go from treasure to trash back to treasure. So it's on us. It's, uh, it's, it's on us. We got to do the work. We have to do the work. That's the general theme for this entire episode. Um, John, thank you so much. We've, we've reached the end. I really appreciate you taking time to talk to me about a variety of things. But before we wrap up completely, we like to um, gift our guest for making time a personalized horoscope. Um, from us to you, we are not astrologers that we had to put that out there, but Melissa, just put it in the chat. If you'd like to read it out loud. Dear Virgo maiden of the stars, the South node in Sagittarius will push you to let go of all your own bad opinions and any false narratives that have held you back, such as an abnormal sneeze. <laughs> Psych all sneezes are abnormal because sneezing is not normal. Mm-hmm. This, is a, this is an old joke on Dear Hank and John where a listener was told by their doctor that sneezing is never normal. And ever since then, every time I sneeze, like, I mean, this has now been more than a year, I think. Every yeah. single time I sneeze, I mutter under my breath, sneezing is not normal. I never sneeze. And it's so, it drives Sarah crazy. Like when she hears me sneeze, she runs out of the room so she doesn't have to hear me mumble sneezing. Is it normal? I never sneeze. And now it's just become like this weird tick you have about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I, 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 I kind of have to, I just, I just like to say it. It just, I, I don't know. I'm thinking it. So I figure I should just say it out loud. But yeah, that person who Ugh. told their patient that sneezing is never normal really had a huge impact on my life too. <sighs> And I, I just finished watching the uh, Dr. Death documentary. Oh, and so um, I would argue to say that that might not have been an actual doctor that gave <laughs> that person <laughs> that advice. <laughs> yeah, I listened to I listened to all three uh, seasons of that podcast oh, and like with well, just sweaty palms. Yeah, there is a uh, there's a scripted series of it now you can watch with Joshua Jackson as Dr. Death. Pacey. What? Uh, what uh which of the 72 streaming services is it, is it on it's either on peacock or paramount plus mm. they're both peas mm. we click yeah. them they're right next to each other i forget which one <laughs> only one of them will survive but one we don't know which one yet yeah this is why i don't get any brand deals from either of those networks because i cannot keep them <laughs> straight <laughs> i am uh not great at promoting john where can people find you if you want them to on the internet or anything you're up to uh, I'm on YouTube at youtube.com slash blog brothers. Uh, and also, I mean, that's it really. And uh, occasionally on crash course at youtube.com slash crash course. Awesome. Well, thank you again for making time. Super appreciate it. Yeah, it's great to be with you, Grace. Vice versa, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Go check out John wherever he is, whatever he's rating, reviewing, uh, or ranting about. And we'll see you next time on another episode of Not Too Deep. Goodbye. Too deep, too deep, too deep. Too deep. Too deep. Too deep. Not too deep. Not too deep. Was Grace Helbig.
Not Too Deep is a production of Grace Helbig Incorporated, producer Melissa D. Montz, edited by Shireen Lani Yunus, post-production sound by Chris Henry, and an extra special thanks to Flula for the theme music. <laughs> 